much, though, sharing what they miss so much about their mother. Uh, I think about my mother not being here today, and there's so many things I could say, but what I really miss is what she did with the family ta- table. She was the ultimate homemaker. And even on a day like today, where it was supposed to be focused on her, it would be perfect for us. We have so many memories of our mothers. Some of you are so blessed to have your mothers here with you. Give them a tight hug. But you know, when you've lost your mother, the most comforting words that anyone can say to you is, is mother is in heaven. I was blessed to preach the funeral of my mom, and the nicest, most upbuilding thing for me was the confidence that I knew she was in heaven. Many of us say, if anybody's in heaven, it was our, my mom. And yet, two weeks ago, I taught you that heaven is on earth. And so our question this morning is, how can those two things be true? Some would say our mothers are simply in a land asleep. They're unconscious. They're just waiting on the final day when heaven and earth will come together. Let's look at that today. We're about to look at lots of scriptures, so get your Bible out. Get your notes out. I did have a complaint this past Sunday from my grandson, George, who said, Grandbuddy, there weren't enough blanks on the outline, okay? And so I don't like to disappoint my grandchildren. So you're going to have lots of blanks today. Well, let's try to put this tension together. What I was talking to you about two weeks ago is what I call the future heaven. And I do believe that Scripture teaches that it is down here. Let's look at a few passages we looked at very quickly. Revelation 21, this view of heaven, heaven and earth coming down. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Notice that heaven is coming down. Acts chapter 3, talking about Jesus, it said, For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Jesus is not remaining and waiting for the final destroying of all things. He's waiting on the final restoration of all things. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He will come back and make the world new. Matthew chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8, I think, gives us the, the biggest description of what this is all about. Because he's talking about here how the earth, since the fall, is in bad shape and it's groaning. He also talks about what you and I are very aware of today, that our bodies are not in the best shape, and they're groaning for this future restoration. Listen to what Paul writes. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. That's the fall. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. There will be a day when creation will no longer experience that. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers, now we're groaning, we also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with 
Eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children. Pay close attention. Including the new bodies he's promised us. In the future, there will be a restoration of the earth and of our bodies. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul's talking about the resurrection of Jesus in our resurrection. In the same way, with the resurrection of the dead, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. I hope you see the point. Something really significant in the story of Scripture is that Eden was never destroyed. Man was banished from the Garden of Eden, but Eden was just guarded to that point where God could restore it. In fact, the next time we see the tree of life show up in Scripture, it's in Revelation 22 in a description of heaven and that beautiful sea, and beside it is the tree of life. So what I believe is at the end of time, Jesus will return Earth will be cleansed and restored to its natural beauty that God always intended. The fall will be reversed. Paradise will be restored. Our bodies will be resurrected and will be perfect. That's what I believe. Now, let me say this very clearly. I don't think this is a salvation issue, all right? Jesus is a salvation issue. We might disagree on this. In fact, if I get to heaven and I'm wrong about it, I'm not walking out, okay? And what I'd appreciate, if, if, if I'm wrong and heaven's up there, and you see me up there, I would really appreciate if you didn't point to me and say to God, do you know what he said down there? No, that's what I really believe. So back to where mom is now. If that's the future, what's going on now? What I think the Scripture teaches is not just that future heaven, but a present heaven that is up there. Some people call it the intermediate heaven. It's obvious that when people die, something wonderful happens if they're in the Lord. Look at Luke chapter 23 when Jesus said to that thief, I assure you today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is being stoned for sharing his faith. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing in place of honor at God's right hand. What is Stephen seeing as he looks up there? He's seeing the present heaven. Paul's talking about, you know, he may die. He's in prison. He doesn't know whether he will live or die. He's not too worried about it because either way he's okay. Philippians chapter 123. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. And then look at 1 Corinthians 5 as he talks about our bodies. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing Yes, we are fully confident, and we'd rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we'll be at home with the Lord. You see, in the present heaven, when you die and pass away, we bury your body, and your spirit raises to be with God. Now, this explains something that actually seems like a a great contradiction in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, they're trying to answer the same question we're asking today. Where are our loved ones? 
You see, they, they thought Jesus was coming back so quickly, they had not anticipated that anyone would die before the coming of the Lord. And now, just like you and I, they had many loved ones, and they wanted to know what had gone on. Look at a couple of passages that on surface seem rather contradictory. Verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who died. So when Jesus comes back, he's bringing our loved ones with him. And then look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. He's talked about believers who've died twice. He's got them in two different places. He's got them coming down from heaven, and he's got them raised from the dead. How do you put this together? It's if you believe there's a new heaven and a new earth, that when Jesus comes back, he will bring our spirits with him, and our body will be resurrected perfectly and be reunited. That's the only way it makes sense. So here's the truth, my friends. Here's the simple truth that this sounds complicated to you. Heaven is where God is. It's about as simple as it gets. It's where God resides. Never forget, a, when we were in Tuscaloosa, we had a wonderful preacher and his wife, and her name was BJ, and she was quite a character. And they had lived all across the country. And so one day I just said to BJ Jones, I said, BJ, I know you and Harold have lived so many different places. What's your favorite place y'all have ever lived? And, and I'll never forget her answer. It sort of surprised me. She said, my favorite place is where I am. And today, guys, where's our home? It's where we live. And that changes, doesn't it? I says, we've lived in Montgomery. We've lived in five different homes. But my home today is not on Carolina Court. It's not on Brevard Avenue. My home is not on Lorene Circle. It's not on Lower James Street. It's 1830 Croom Drive because that's where Stephanie and I are. That's our home. And yes, right now, God dwells in heaven. But one day he will come to set his throne up and to dwell on this earth. And that's why we can have a present heaven and a future heaven. I I explained it a couple of weeks ago with what I thought was a pretty cool analogy about a a layover. We talked about someone living in California, impoverished on the streets. And then all of a sudden they get this ticket to Miami where there's going to be an incredible paradise and place for them to live. And and, and so what we said was, you know, this would be the earth, and then one day they would go to the restored earth, but in between they would have a layover in Dallas. But if they were telling the story, they might not even talk about Dallas. They might even just say, you know, we went from the, the poverty of California to the riches of Miami. But listen, the analogy is not quite right. The analogy should be this. They're living in poverty on the streets of California. They fly to Dallas and have a great reunion in time with God and family. And then they don't go that way. They go back to California where paradise has been restored. 
That's the picture of heaven. So, let's go back to mom. Let's ask a question about what's going on right now in the present heaven. How are our loved ones? What's going on with them right now? Are they conscious? Do they know what's going on here? Well, we have two stories in Scripture, two passages that, that help us with them. this. One is that famous story about the rich man and Lazarus. You know, you remember the rich man was living on this earth in great luxury. Lazarus was a poor man who was a beggar. But they all get even when they die. And the rich man ends up in Hades in torment. And Lazarus ends up at Abraham's side in great comfort and blessing. Now, the rich man's pretty upset about this because on earth, he had had everything and the poor man had nothing. And so he complains to Father Abraham and says, you know, could you just command Lazarus to to go dip his finger in some water and come and cool my tongue? I'm sort of used to bossing Lazarus around anyway. And, And God has explained, there ain't no way for that to happen. There's a great chasm, there's a great gulf that separates torment from paradise, and there's no crossing over. There's no crossing over. You see, I don't think that's a parable. Some people do. No, if it's a parable, in no other parable does Jesus give a name. And if he was going to make up a parable, do you really think he would have made up a name and put Lazarus in there, who is one of his best friends, who would make this rather confusing? No, I think this is a real picture of a rich man who at this point is in the present Hades and the poor man Lazarus who's in the present heaven. We learn some things from that. And then there's another passage that gives us a little picture, sort of an odd passage in Revelation chapter 6. John's given a peek into the present heaven to some martyrs who've already died. Listen to what it says, Revelation 6 verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for the faithful, and being faithful in their testimony. What do you see? These are people who have already passed on because they were killed for sharing their faith. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and truly, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they've done from us? They remember what had happened to them. Then a white robe was given to each of them. They were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, had joined them. So out of these two stories, what do we find out about what's going on right now? Back to mom. Let me tell you a few things. George, this is when you can take lots of notes. Number one, we find out that people who've gone on are fully conscious. It's very obvious. They know everything that's going on. It seems they know things are going to heaven. They know things even going on this earth. It's also very obvious that they are distinct individuals. They're each given a white robe. They don't become someone different. They even keep their name when they pass on. The most important thing we could say about how they are right now is that they're with God. They've finally been united there. 
And we'd also say they're enjoying paradise. It was a place for that poor man of great comfort where it no longer mattered what had happened to him on earth. He'd arrived to be with God. There's also some things I think we can deduct from these passages. They have a memory. They can remember. The martyrs remember what had happened to them on this earth. They're also very expressive. We, we see the martyrs shout to God, asking him to go ahead and bring justice to this unjust world. And I noticed something this week while studying. That you may have never noticed, but maybe you did. How many times have you been in church and someone was baptized and we say the angels are rejoicing in heaven right now? Have you ever heard that? Raise your hand. That's not what the Bible says. Luke chapter 15 verse 10 says that people are rejoicing in the presence of angels. They're there. And I'm telling you guys, when someone saw their grandson or their cousin baptized last Sunday, I guarantee you there was rejoicing of more. Maybe the angels joined in somewhere, but that's not what Scripture says. They're expressive. It seems to me in some form we can say that our loved ones are praying. They're asking God for things. I bet your loved ones are praying for you right now. They're hoping really bad you're listening to this. And guys, I believe they're connected with us. The rich man, if you keep reading the story, remembers his brothers back on the earth and doesn't want them to have the same torment he has. So that's a lot. That's comforting. Well, how about in the future heaven? The question I always get, and we'll be looking at a lot of questions over the next few weeks, is will we know our loved ones? First of all, I'd say if there's this much interaction between us and our loved ones in the present heaven, I can't imagine in the future eternal heaven that there's not great interaction and certainly we would know each other. But there is this picture in, in Judaism that heaven is going to be this great, great banquet. And you're going to sit down at this table and you're going to enjoy this scrumptious feast I mean, the table is a great picture of being with God. All th- you could almost follow Jesus in the book of Luke just by tables. You know, a couple, few weeks ago in our habit series, we talked about how eating with your family at a table is almost the magic bullet that changes everything. And my friends, when it comes to being with God, he's a lot like my mom. He loves a perfect table. Now, Jesus gives a shocking point about this over in Matthew chapter 8. You remember that there was a centurion. This guy's a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier. He's not a Jew. He's not one of the chosen ones. He has a servant who's paralyzed, and he's suffering. And he comes to Jesus and tells him. And Jesus says, shall I come with you and heal him? Which would have broken all the social norms for Jesus to go into a Gentile's house. 
But this centurion, who has amazing faith, says, I don't deserve you to come in my home. I believe if you will just say the word, my servant will be healed. Just say it. And he says, Jesus, I understand this. I'm a I'm a centurion. I'm a man of authority. And when I say to the people underneath me, go here or do that, they do it. Jesus, you are a man of authority. And all you've got to do, the centurion said, is say the word. And my servant will be healed. Look what Jesus says in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, it's one of the two times in the New Testament, Jesus is amazed. He was amazed Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. That's not what the Jewish people want to hear. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles, well, not that either, will come down, will come from all over the world, from the east and west, and they're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of God. Now, I know this is a very simple point. But what good is it to sit at a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob if you don't know who they are? I'm figuring there will at least be name tags, all right? And what I want you to know is these pictures tell us that heaven is a foretaste, that that what we live right is heaven is going to be a place where we have this incredible banquet with God and where we will know each other. So when you think about your mom or you think about that person that you're missing today, one day you'll be with them in a place where there is no time. My mother was a great conversationalist. And you can talk as long as you want. Now guys, we're about to take communion together. And what I want to say to you today is that this table is a place where we get a foretaste that this table as we take communion again is the place where we are most connected with God but what I'd like to add to your picture today is what the book of Hebrews teaches it says that there is a great cloud of witnesses up in heaven right now I don't think I'm stretching to say while we partake of communion let me say this Communion is the closest you will ever get to heaven in this present life. That's why this is so special. It's the picture of the table we will sit at. And I don't think I'm stretching it to say that as you and I partake, your loved ones are looking down and celebrating with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much, God, for all that you've said about heaven. I confess to you, Lord, that, that I, I missed so much of this. Just missed it. It's like Randy Alcorn said, it's, it's not because you didn't give a lot of details about heaven. It's because I really didn't pay attention. But Lord, right now we're, we're paying attention. And Lord, we're so full of hope. And we thank you for what we've studied today, that our, our loved ones who were followers of your son Jesus are in heaven with you right now. 
And Father, to even know that as we sit around this table and as we celebrate what Jesus has done, not just for us, but also for them, that there's this great possibility that they are looking down upon us and that they are celebrating with us. So right now, as we partake of the body and the blood, as we meet around this table, Father, may we embrace the fact that this is the closest that we'll experience heaven while we live on this earth. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Great are you, God. I think as we understand the plans that God has for us, as we just get a glimpse of it, Paul says our imagination is not even big enough to understand what heaven will be like, but just the glimpses we're given in Scripture allow us to, to understand how great God is and how much He loves us. Now today our focus has been on what happened to our loved ones and literally what happens right now when we die. Just a couple of days ago, a dear sister, Joe Adcock, passed away. Tomorrow in Troy will be a part of her funeral. Think of what a wonderful, wonderful person. Where is she right now? What are we trying to say right today? Reminds me of the great Winston Churchill's funeral, which he had planned out to a T. Look up, show the next picture. It was held in St. Paul's Cathedral. That's the dome of that great cathedral in London. And after the service was over, Winston Churchill, to everyone's surprise, had stationed two buglers up in the dome. As soon as the amen was said, one bugler began to play taps. The universal symbol that a day is over. And as soon as that was over, on the other side of the dome, a bugler began to play reveille. The universal symbol that a new day has dawned. And that is the comfort, my friends, that we get today. That when we die, it will be the end of one day and the beginning of a much more glorious day that will last for all of eternity. Now I ask you this morning, what is your response to this teaching? I hope this teaching is more than just, well, I've never thought about heaven this way or not too sure about what Buddy said about that. I hope it's not just an intellectual exercise. Why is all this put in Scripture? It's because God wants us to desire heaven. He wants us to be hungry for heaven. He wants us to spend eternity with God, and it starts right now. Now, here's what I've got to say today. Too many of us are living as if none of this is real. We're not really believing there's a place of torture called Hades, and there's a place of comfort and rest called paradise, and that the decision you're making here on this earth will determine which of these you go to. We're living like that's not true. And if anything in this series should come through to us is I want to do everything I can to put my faith in Jesus because he's my only hope to end up where I want to be. Guys, for the rich man in the story we studied today, he was in torment. And he finally understood. He had not thought about eternity. He finally understood. He tried to do something, but it was too late for him. It's fascinating. He didn't think it was too late for his family back on earth. 
He begged, Father Abraham, send Lazarus back to my brothers. I love my brothers. Warn them. I don't want them to be where I am. I don't want them to wait too late to finally face this truth. And Abraham says, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. And he said, but Abraham, if someone from the dead would go back, someone who's been there, they would listen. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded if someone returns from the dead. Can I ask you, if you're not right with Jesus today, if you don't know that if Jesus came back right now, you'd go to heaven, what is it going to take to get your attention? If the teachings of Jesus and Paul are not enough to get your attention, God has no other plan. I feel like some of us are just waiting around for God to zap us or get our attention or send somebody back from the dead. Listen, guys, if you won't listen to the Word of God and everything we've been teaching these last few weeks, what's it going to take? There's no other There's no other option. So today, before we leave this place, if, if today's the day you need to get right with God, if today's the day that you need to say, you know what, right now I'm not headed in the right direction. I want to put my faith back in Jesus. You know, today, many of us, we want to know where our mothers are. But the challenge today also is, do we know where we would be? Don't leave here without knowing. Because if this is not enough to motivate you, I'm sorry. But today you want to get on track, not by your own efforts, you can't earn this thing, but by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, then please come. If we need to pray for you, if you're off track, it's time to rededicate your life to the Lord. If you're not sure, if Jesus came back right now, where you would be, be sure in the next five minutes. If you need to come, come right now while we stand and sing.